Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are so passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastors Joel and Trish Gregory continue in their life-changing series entitled Folks. Get your pen and your pad ready, and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. Here we go. We are talking about folks, friends and family, ordinary people, loved ones, our kids, and our spouses, right? Folks. How to interact with them and how healthy relationships continue to grow and continue to develop, okay? We all have to deal with people, and sometimes our dealings, most times, our dealings with the people in our lives are pleasant. Our children bring us joy way more than they bring us heartache. Our spouses, in most cases, most cases, most cases. Hold on. Why'd they start laughing out there? She didn't even finish her statement. Stop that. We don't want to be without them. Right? There's times you're like, you would leave me alone right now. <laughs> but 95% of the time in my life, 95% of the time, I don't want to be, I don't want to be without him. He can go somewhere, but just a few miles away and come right back home. And he does the same thing with me, right? Yeah, just give me my Monday. That's all. I'm good. So learning how to maneuver and grow through our relationships is essential, right? Yeah. First, uh, Colossians, our foundation scriptures, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. I need these. Let me put these back on. <laughs> these are the progressives. You know, they're fancy. I can go out there and right here. All right. In the passion, it says, you are always and dearly loved by God, our most important and treasured relationship. He goes on to say, so robe yourself with the virtues of God. When we love him and we understand how much he loves us, he enables us to put on him. He never asks us to do more than we're able to do because by his spirit, he equips us. Mm -hmm. Since you have been divinely chosen to be holy, set apart, different, peculiar in Christ. You're a royal priesthood. You are a unique individual, fearfully and wonderfully made. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Hey, he says, you won't always land in understanding, but you will endeavor. You should endeavor to understand others. And be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Not just believers, but showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. He goes on to say, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Because how many know, even in the family of faith, we have weaknesses. Okay, I think in particular, he addresses the family of faith, believers, because we can easily believe since we got Christ, everything's supposed to be good and easy. He says, but deal with the weaknesses of others in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the true mark of maturity. Maturity equals love. Love displays maturity, okay? Mm-hmm. So th- now we're talking about conflict resolution. Amen. Amen. How many of you are excited? <laughs> I'm excited to be talking about conflict resolution. You know, how many of you know people? 
Okay, not everybody raised. I'm going to ask one more time so I can give you an opportunity to be honest. How many of you know people? We all know people. And because we are peculiar, fearfully and wonderfully made, unique in all of our ways, individual, I don't care if you are identical down to the last chroma, down to one chromosome, you are different. Unlike anyone around you, I don't care how many friends, likes, followers you have, you are different. You can try to dress like, be like whoever, sound like whoever. You are different. Therefore, because you are different, there's always going to be differences. And in those differences, there is always the potential for conflict. Right. Conflict, let me submit this to you, is not always bad. That's right. In fact, in most times, conflict isn't bad. That's right. It's how we handle it that makes it bad. It's how we handle it that makes it bad. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about conflict. Now, we understand that 95% of conflict starts with what? Them words. That tongue. Remember we talked about that last week? Don't daze out on me, okay? You know your spirit needs this. Your flesh is like, you don't need this. And your spirit is like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Remember, Proverbs 18.21 in the Amplified says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. Pastor Gregory, you know, snuck that in there, but it so quickly and eloquently speaks to the power of what we say. And in conflict, it is so essential because the resolution is strictly by what we say, followed by the actions that align with it. Yeah, that's so good. So conflict resolution is a real issue in our community today. If you watch the news, right, and you see they're getting younger and younger, but the violence is getting greater and greater because people don't know how to resolve conflict. It's such an issue in our society today that you can now earn a degree from college in conflict resolution, right? Corporations understand now that before they hire you, they have to take you through conflict resolution training because, I mean, you can have a vision for your corporation, but if the people can't get along, the vision is not going to prosper that far, right? I know when I was the dean of a Bible school, I wrote into the orientation and into the curriculum conflict resolution because it was no sense in going to Bible school to learn about Jesus and having a relationship with God and we can't get along with each other, mm. Mm. right? And so conflict resolution by definition is defined as a fight, a battle, or struggle, especially a prolonged struggle, strife, controversy, quarrel, conflicts between parties, discord or of action, feeling or effect, antagonism or opposition as of interest or principles, a conflict of ideas. And so all of this can be found in the YouVersion Bible app, or you can also go to the Linked Up Church app and get all of these notes. So we're actually giving it to you today, but, but it's all in those notes. So make sure that you read them and then add your own notes to it. One of the things that sticked out, sticks out with conflict for me is sometimes it's just a conflict and ideas. So if you just think about the makeup of a male and the makeup of a female, I mean, no, they don't see everything the same way. 
Amen. And so sometimes just the fact that we see it differently creates conflict. Mm -hmm. Resolution is important here. Resolution is defined as a decision or determination, a resolve to make a firm resolution to do something. I love this. The act of determining upon an action or course of action, method, procedure. The act of resolving, firmness of purpose, the mental state or quality of being resolved or resolute. And so when you think about it, if you have conflict, right, the person that's pursuing peace is always thinking about the resolution to that conflict. And most of the time, that resolution comes with strategy. And we're going to talk to you all about a little bit of strategy today. Because I can't resolve conflict with my wife the same way I resolve conflict with my children. I mean, so the same strategy, strategy doesn't work for every person you come in contact with. You got to understand what strategy works for the individual or individuals that you are currently dealing with. So simply stated, conflict resolution is the effort to come to an understanding and agreeable state of functional existence between two or more group people groups or parties. So in the context of a relationship, whether you're dating, engaged, or marriage, right? The, the goal is not to think the same because you'll never do that. Yes. The goal is, listen to this, is not to think alike. The goal is not to even agree. The goal is to become agreeable. To think together. To think together, right? Where we can take the diversity of thought and two opposing viewpoints and bring those together. Because probably that diversity of thought is going to make that one idea better than if I would have approached it by myself or she would have approached it by herself. So now we're not trying to think the same. We're just trying to think together and get all of our thoughts agreeable so that we can move forward in this relationship. Do you all see that? And so before engaging in conflict resolution, one must agree to these definitions. And listen to this, very key. Not winning, but to do something to make the relationship work, right? And so pride will always say, is my way or the highway? We're going to do it the way I said, or we're not doing it anyway. How I mean, you know, if both of us aren't winning, then neither one of us are winning. That's right. That's right. right. And so it's so important to don't let pride say, I have to win this situation, right? But let humility say, we must resolve this situation so that our relationship can work. That is so true, and that is so good. And sometimes it may even be a agree to disagree. Yeah. And that's okay. But mind you, in this context, we're talking about, most importantly, how we deal with one another in the body of Christ. But the principles, because the world, even in its darkness, they want truth. And they want to win. People, when I say they, I, I, I'm, I'm separating the people of the world and their secular thinking and their carnal behavior. People who are subject to, you know, stabbing somebody in the back to get ahead. We know them. We know them. And sometimes they might call themselves Christian. And the view might be so contrary but when we have an establishment that the, at the end of the day, the word of God is going to be the central foundation. And even if we, but if we enact it, 
without necessarily putting scripture, putting an address to it, the scripture book and chapter and verse, light still outshines darkness. Right. Now, there's an example of this, and I just wanted to make sure we honed in because the Bible did not exempt conflict. In fact, God shines brightest in conflict. But biblical people, believers, people who preached the gospel had conflict. Paul had conflict with John Mark. We know Jesus had issues with Judas. And Judas had issues with God Almighty. How about that? But here's one that's really simple. In Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 is where I'll start in the Passion Translation. This is Paul in Rome writing to the church of Philippi. He is in prison acknowledging that I am near the end of my ministry and my life. And he is assessing what's really important. And what's important for him in his calling was the continual spread of the gospel. And he's saying, listen, it ain't that deep. Whatever y'all dealing with, squash it because, listen, I, get perspective. I'm in prison. I'm, I'm facing the end of what might be my race, my life. So let's get it together because it's temporary. And he writes and he inserts in this letter, I plead with Udia, is that right, Minister David? Odia and Syntyche. Syntyche. He was mine. We know who you mean. Yeah. We know who you mean. Syntyche. To settle their disagreement and be restored with one mind in our Lord. I would like my dear friend and burden bearer to help resolve this issue for both women have diligently labored with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel. Huh. There were women preachers even back then. Back the first carriers of the gospel, right? Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, all of their names are written in the book of life. So he said, these two women who have been vital to me in the spread of the gospel, are at odds with one another. And he's basically saying, paraphrasing, this should not be so. So uh, my dear co-laborer, listen, get with them too, and let's squash this issue. Let's resolve it because they were more impactful together than they are apart. And them being apart impacts their impactfulness of the spread of the gospel. So... He's basically saying, listen, they're too important together. Look at your neighbor and say, you're too important, you're too important. To, continue to continue in conflict. Amen. Amen. So now Paul is begging them to not only resolve their issues, but to work it out and continue the work that they began. So often we forget that God is not so much concerned about the work as, he much, as much as he is concerned about the impactfulness of the work among people. We are only as impactful as we are in the relationships that we carry. I'm going to say that again. We are only as impactful in what we do as the relationships that we are involved with. So every relationship... With all of this conflict, excitement, good times, and not so good times, they're two-sided. And it's healthiest when all parties own their part, yep. whether in conflict or in together. We are powerful together. And when we're in conflict, it's our opportunity to join forces to remind the devil that he is defeated. And together with Christ, we win. Yeah. Right. And so the work there then that 
those two ladies were involved in was actually greater than the conflict that they allowed to stop the work. Right? And so history always repeats itself because we don't learn lessons from our past. So the work they were doing for the, co- for the gospel, how many know that was way more important than the conflict they had with each other? Right? And so I just want to tell you at large, the body of Christ would do better if we learn how to resolve conflict. Thank God for linked up church, but there actually would not be a linked up church if leaders could resolve conflict. Right? And there's nothing you can do to convince me or tell me that we weren't better together than we are apart. Right? And so think about it. If that leader can resolve conflict, linked up church never starts. And now we're much farther along than we are right now. Now, because God is faithful, how I many know we're still going to get there? But we would have got there in greater measure in probably a shorter time had the conflict not stopped the work. This is how important this is. So now if you just look in metropolitan Atlanta, there are seven churches that formed out of that one church. All because leaders can't resolve conflict. And you can't tell me individually, none of us are doing as great as we could do had we all stayed together. Okay? So I'm just trying to show you, history will repeat itself if we don't learn its lessons. Now let's bring that down to relationship. If you don't understand why the last relationship didn't work, so you're going to bring all that unresolved conflict into your new relationship. Yeah, that's good. All right, so now, Let's look at the blueprint for conflict resolution. How many of y'all glad you came to church today? All right. Can we just give God a real good hallelujah, amen, glory to God in here? All right. And so when, when I was in Bible school, again, I wrote this, what I'm getting ready to read, into the orientation and into the manual that every student had to carry. Because, again, fundamentally, we cannot call ourselves leaders and ministers if we don't know how to resolve conflict. All right. So let's read Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read out of the Amplified verses 15 through 20. And we really consider this a blueprint for the church. It says, if your brother sins. Now, what's understood here is if your brother sins against you. Okay. So we're talking about someone that has wronged you and sinned against you individually. Notice what it says. Go and show him his fault in private. Right, so somebody's done you wrong, it is your responsibility to go and show them their fault between the two of you in private and no one else. This is real spiritual maturity. Then he says, now here's some keys. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. Key language there is if he listens and pays attention. Because I mean, you know some people don't want to change. Some people just love conflict. Some people, if you just try to tell them what they did wrong, it's getting ready to create more conflict, right or wrong. So, so, so key here is when you go to try to win your brother back because that's the ultimate goal or your sister back, you want to see are they paying attention and are they listening to you? 
right? Because that's going to determine your next course of action. And then it goes on to say in verse 16, but if he does not listen, reiterates that, take along with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, hopefully these are people who know both of you intimately. More importantly, they actually may have witnessed or know specifically what's going on between the two of you. So then you can go get them and bring them in and now we can all try to resolve this together because the goal is to win this relationship back, correct? So then we'll keep going here in verse 17. If he pays no attention to them, refusing to listen and obey, then tell it to the church. And so that's when it comes to the leadership or whoever the leadership may assign to handle that particular situation. Then if they won't listen to you, they won't listen to the two or three witnesses, they won't listen to the leadership of the church, then let them be as a Gentile Mm. and a tax collector, Mm. which were two of the lowest class of citizens in Israel. Gentile was an unbeliever and a tax collector collector was a crook (laughs) verse 18 says I assure you you most solemnly most solemnly say to you that whatever you bind forbid declare listen very careful to be carefully to be improper and unlawful on earth shall have already been bound in heaven and whatever you loose permit declare lawful on earth shall already have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two believers on earth shall agree, that is, are on one mind and in harmony about anything that they ask within the will of God, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is heaven. Now, what we've done as the body of Christ, we've taken that one verse there, and we go get somebody, right? And we say, I want you to agree with me in prayer about this. In principle, how many know you can do that? But really, in context, what he's talking about here is two individuals who have an indi- have a issue with each other, right? And then he tells you the ultimate resolution to that conflict is for both of you all to become agreeable with God's will. Yep. Right? So, so what he's teaching us, if you want to resolve conflict, and, and listen to me, man, this is the best way to lead your wife and your family and your children. You've got to be able to come to that situation with what God said about it. Now, if we can just say what God said and both of us can become agreeable with that, then how many know now it's not about her winning, it's not about me winning, it's about both of us agreeing with God so that we can move forward in this relationship. Do you all see that? That is the absolute best context for that. And so this is why a lot of times... People don't have great relationships uh, outside of people who are mature in Christ because you really cannot have a great relationship with someone who does not listen to God. Right? And so it's it's really common sense to me. If they won't listen to God, they won't listen to you. You don't stand a chance. Right? And so if I sit down and I show her or she shows me that this is why we're doing this, and neither one of us want to do that, we don't have anything. Do you all see that? Right? If I say the reason we're not getting in debt is because God said, oh, no man, nothing but the loving, so we're not going to live by debt. And she says, well, he didn't tell me that. I mean, yes, he did. It's right here. It's, it's right. You all see this? 
And so this is the best way to resolve conflict. Verse 22 reiterate, or verse 20 reiterates then, so where two or three are gathered in my name, meeting together as my followers, I am there among them. So any conflict can be resolved if the word of God is the foundation for that resolution. Okay? Let me give you these three keys from that text, right? This was meant for Christians and not non-believers. Okay? Number two, sins committed against you and not others. So don't you get involved in other people's issues. Only deal with the issues that are specific to you. You can't fix everybody else's problems. Focus on fixing your own problems. Right? And then number three, conflict resolution in the context of the church and not the community at large. That's right. Now, understand this. This was not Jesus given a license to have a frontal attack on every person that tries to hurt or slight you. Some things are just a matter of just forgiveness and keep it moving. Right? It's a matter of, keep, of forgiveness and keep it moving. But there are times, and we'll talk about this in boundaries and in expect, relationship expectations, that we need to have a conversation because this keeps resurfacing. It keeps resurfacing, and it's making it difficult for us to function together. Mm-hmm. So he gives an orderly way on how to handle conflicts with increasing public accountability. Oftentimes, you know, somebody wronged my husband, then you know what? You wronged me too, and so we got issues with one another. No, I just know that there's a boundary that, because this comes first. And there's not going to be a wedge in between this. I sleep with this man, and I enjoy sleeping with this man. Say that again. (laughs) People in the back didn't hear you. Say it. Say it with your chest. Say it loud. I sleep with this man, and I enjoy sleeping with this man. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's important to resolve conflict. (laughs) Because if ain't nothing happened in a while, it's probably some conflict that has not been resolved. And I'm going to move on right there. I'm going to just leave it right there. Better resolve that conflict, boy, so you can get back in the game. <laughs> Go ahead, babe. I'm sorry. You be happy you're so cute. Just be happy that you just look so cute. Okay, so hi, people online. We forgot to greet you. Hello. Good morning. The notes are there for you. Praise God. Follow along. All right. Conflict resolution. Now, what we're talking about in the biblical text uh, context is skills. Because in skills, it's something that you constantly develop, right? You constantly develop, and it's proven to be true. Oftentimes, we have strategies. Sometimes those strategies work. Sometimes they don't. Why? Because we are responding in our mind to what the situation is and not what the foundation of biblical thinking is. Okay? Which is why it's important to renew your mind daily so that you understand the will of God. Because the will of God does not respond to worldly or carnal ways. The will of God stays in the will of God. You will never, don't respond carnally to a carnal situation and then ask God to deal with it. Right? Once you put salt in the pot, it's salty. Right? So now, we're talking about conflict resolution. Biblical, and then there's the, 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 the other ways, right? I did a lot of study and a lot of research in preparation for this because there are psychological, mental studies and HR studies that talk about how most people handle conflict. 
But then how many of you know, but then God has a way of, uh, has a strategy on handling conflict. Right. Okay, so number one, initiative. Initiative. Someone must want resolution, and it has to start with a conversation with active listening. Initiative requires someone wanting a resolve, and it has to start with a conversation that involves active listening followed by action, right? When we come together, there should be an understanding that I might not get 100% of my way, but he might not get 100% of our way. But together, we get 100% of what we want. Right. Right? Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, in the English Standard Version, it says, now this is Abram before he turned into Abraham. God just called him out of his homeland because, you know, his people were moon worshipers. So they said, God said, come on, Abram. Follow me, and I'm going to take you to a place of milk and honey. I'm going to take you a place you know not, and I'll prosper you and your generation there, right? And so Abram, of course, has his nephew named Lot. How many of you got a cousin that just want to go everywhere you go? A, a sibling, a cousin, just want, to, just want to tag along. And you're like, you know what? This is supposed to be solo, but all right, just don't get in my way, right? And that was Lot. And so while he was traveling, Lot was like, you know what? I want to go over here. I mean, Abram was like, I want to go over here. Lot was like, no, I want to go over there. And then, you know, this, this, this situation happens. So in verse 13, well, Genesis chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, it says, Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is it not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go right. If you take the right hand, then I'll go left. So basically, Abram was saying, no matter what, I am going to prosper. So even in your relationship, it requires faith. That's right. There's a faith requirement in every relationship that you have. I married him by faith. He told me his story, and it was not a nice story. I married him trusting that his devotion to God was going to equal his devotion to me and I wouldn't have heartache from any type of infidelity or any type of stuff, mess. I married him by faith after we proved each other before we got married. Right? Abram is saying, listen, you take the most pleasurable, desired piece of land that you want because all this he said, go. I can't occupy all of it, neither can you. So you take your choice land, and I'll take what's left over. Lot chose, you know how your cousins are. They're going to take the best. It's grass over there. It seems to rain over there more, but then the sun shines brighter over there. It's, it's more lush. It's leveled. You know, it's not all hilly and mountains. But, and Abram said, I'll go with the leftovers. Understand this. God will prosper you and can prosper you even in the leftovers. God is not limited by what you see. You're limited by what you see. In fact, God is glorified by taking the little thing and making it great. So he's not bothered by the leftovers. He's not bothered by the back office. He's not bothered by you feeling like you giving in too quick. He ain't bothered by none of that because he says when you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you in due season. Right? Right? Well, so this is how we tend to act, though. 
The counter practice, a temper tantrum. Anger, retaliation, shutting down, clapbacks, social media posts, talking about somebody that they know who you talking about. That's how we tend to deal with situations when there's conflict. We're like, you know what? Once I'm done, I'm done. There's this quote that says, people who can't communicate think everything is an argument. That's such a powerful quote. Written by Daniel Chidiak, a, a African-American black author. He said, people who can't communicate thinks that every conversation is an argument. Yeah. And it's really a defense mechanism. It's a way to deflect and really get attention off of the real problem. So since I know I'm wrong, let me just turn it into an argument, blow it up. Hello, somebody. Blow it up, and then I can ease my way out of it, right? And then somehow make it seem like you're actually the one that's being stupid right now. Right? When that wasn't even the issue that brought us to the conversation in the first place. But now you didn't flip the thing all the way over on to me. And I didn't have anything to do with that because people who can't communicate turn everything into an argument. Listen to what Proverbs 29:22 says in the Amplified Classic. It says, a man of wrath stirs up strife. Hold on. What you talking about? Uh, I said a man of wrath. This is Hold the on. Bible. It says a man Hold of on. wrath serves Hold up on. strife. Hold on. You talking to them or you talking to me? Because I, I, I If feel the shoe like fit, wear it. I'm, I'm starting to feel like you're trying to ease me into something that really didn't have nothing to do with me. So if you're talking to them, talk to them. But that's don't your try to own make, issue. No, that, that's well, your that, own that's issue. your issue. That's your own issue. No, that's your issue. That's your issue. That's the problem. Every time I try to talk every to you. Time, uh, every time. Every time. Every just, time. Just, I can't even talk to you about little stuff. And it, Every time, always. Okay, let's see what we do always. And see, little stuff like that just turns into something that it didn't have to be because people who can't communicate turn everything into an argument. That was good because I was right in the middle of Scripture. You made an argument out of Scripture. so cute. Okay. It's a man of wrath stirs up strife and a man given to anger commits and causes much transgression. Now, I will be the first to admit, you know, I, that Korean heritage and Korean culture is, I mean, adverse. He, he will tell you, he thought it was just me, but then he started to experience more and more Koreans. He was like, you know what they... Yeah. I literally came home and kissed her on the forehead. I was like, babe, I have been overreacting. <laughs> did, didn't I? I was yeah, you sure tub. did. I won't tell the hot tub story, but, <laughs> but, but I came home, kissed her on the forehead, and said, baby, I have been overreacting. You are good. Because <laughs> culturally... Korean people, and I mean, I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm more Korean than I am anything. My mama, 100%, you know, Ancestry 23 tested, right? Have temper issues, yeah. anger issues. Yeah. The way they deal with it, I, I mentioned it another time we ministered. We in Korea, we're in the van. My, my mother, her sister gets into it with their brother. 
and the brother, we on the highway, we on 285. And it's only this little strip of, of, of shoulder. It's not like, because it's all mountain. So there's no nice little shoulder to pull over. Half the car is still in the lane. My uncle pulls over, gets out, and says, figure it out. And they hadn't talked to each other in eight years. T I mean, anger and temper tantrums are real, right? How many of you can say, can admit humbly that I've, I'm being delivered or have been delivered from anger, temper issues? That was, that, that was me. I mean, I've I, I come a long way, but I still got a ways to go. Every yeah. time I make a fist or look at my hand, I'm reminded that, I have temp that I've had temper issues in my past, right? Yeah. Busted knuckles from hitting concrete walls, cut on my hand from busting windows. Yeah, keep working on that so it, so, it, <laughs> so, it, so it don't make you think, you know, it can come back. Yeah, keep, keep working on it because it ain't coming back. Bro. But it says causes much transgression. <laughs> Make sure we clear on that. <laughs> causes much transgression. So not only does the anger or the temper make the situation worse, but it can make entire, the, both parties go worse, be worse than what it originally was or what the original issue was about. Yeah, yeah. Because of the failure to even initiate a conversation in hopes of a resolution. Yeah. So especially, ladies, I want you to understand men, okay? If you're single in here or engaged, right? I really want you to understand men. When we don't have our lives together, we are frustrated. We're not frustrated with you. We're frustrated with ourselves. So everything you ask or do just really piles on to the frustration that we already carry. Right? And so this is why, ladies, you want to first let him get his life together. Right? And I'm going to simplify this the best way I can. If he has not figured himself out, he cannot figure the two of you out. Right? So, of course, he's angry. You're wondering, why is he snapping? Why is he doing all that? Because he ain't figured himself out yet. If you let him get through that process... To his place of discovery, you'll see he'll calm down, right? Because now he knows who he is, what he's doing, and where he's going. Now it's easy to tell you where we, what we're doing, who we are, and where we're going. Just wanted to throw that out there, right? You're getting prematurely, you're going to get premature complications. Okay? All right, let's talk about this now. Let's talk about humility. Number two up underneath resolution skills is humility. How many of y'all know it takes humility in order to resolve conflict? Somebody has to humble themselves, right, in order to resolve conflict. It's really the pursuit of peace over personal victory. So I'm more concerned about us resolving this situation than just me individually winning. Because remember, if we both don't win, then we both lose. <laughs> At the end of the day, okay? And so, let's look at a story. I don't have to take a lot of time here because it's very similar to Abram and Lot. But it's really the story of Isaac and Abimelech, okay? And so, in Genesis chapter 26, God told Isaac to stay in the land of Gerar. And then he told him to sow in that land, right? So, how many know when, there's no, when it's a famine, there's no water, there's no food? It, it is extremely bad. And God instructs Isaac to sow in 
in that land. So I just want to help you all understand, it's not where you're at, it's what did God say about where you're at. That's right. Right, because God can prosper you anywhere. He can develop you anywhere. He can bless you anywhere as long as he told you to be there, okay? And so what happens here is that God promised that he would bless Isaac in the land of Gerar, and he did, Isaac sold, and God blessed him a hundredfold. And what happened, the results of that is that Abimelech and the Philistines saw that and they became envious of Isaac. And I want to prophesy this over the body of Christ today, that God would raise up leaders, that God would raise up business people, that God would raise up churches and ministries, that God would raise up future uh, uh, entrepreneurs and, and creatives and innovators so that we will create and develop and do things where the world becomes envious of us. Yes. And we're not envious of the world. Come on, I need somebody to believe that with me. Where we're the leaders and we're cutting edge on everything and the world becomes envious of us. And that's what happened with Abimelech and the Philistines. They became envious. And so in verse 19 and 20, Isaac's servants began to dig in the valley and they found running water. So the result was Abimelech and his servants, they quarreled and they argued over that because running water represented prosperity. It represented coming out of the famine. It represented vegetation and crops growing. It represented everything that they were believing God for so they're going to quarrel and fight over that in verse 21 then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also so they called its name Sitna verse 22 and he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it so he called its name Rohabah saying for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land folks I want to tell you if people want to fight and argue argue over something that you know God told you, just move on because sometimes it's not worth staying in the fight and even having prosperity with people you are miserable with and don't even want to be around. You've got to learn how to trust God that everywhere your feet shall tread, he will prosper you. Come on somebody, you got to trust that whatever you put your hands to, the Lord will cause it to prosper as long as your relationship is right with him. So sometimes you got to look at people and say, you know what? You keep all of that because I don't want to deal with this strife and all this stuff right here. We're just going to move over here on this side. And what you'll end up finding out, they may have started ahead of you, but because you were pursuing peace, God will raise you up, develop you, and bring you to a place where yours still ends up being bigger than theirs because you pursue peace while they were pursuing peace strife. Exactly. And you know, scripture tells us that where there is envy and strife, there is every Every evil evil work. work. Yeah. All right. Just evil work exists where there is envy and strife. Yeah. It's excellent. It's excellent. Listen to this famous quote right here. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It's humility that makes men into angels. St. Augustine. So look at a counter practice, and we'll just end right here for today. Competition. How many of you know you can't have competition in your relationships? Mm. Right? Yeah. Well, I bring home, and I do this, and, and I make this, and you're not doing nothing, and blah. How many of you know that's all competition? 
which is going to destroy the relationship if that's how we approach it. So it's attempting to win through dominance or power, okay? And so there's a story in the Bible in Genesis chapter 22, 15, Josiah and his dad. Uh, I keep, I don't want to say it wrong. And Joachim, all right? And so how many know sometimes when the fathers build something, right, in particular the sons, and the sons inherit something that they didn't work for, it can cause pride to well up in them thinking that they have something that they worked for, right? All parents can understand this. Like if you have a nice car personally. It's called entitlement. Entitlement, yeah. You have a nice car personally and you let your kid drive the car. How many of the kids shouldn't be out there acting like? Fronting like. Like they you did. see my whip? Yeah, like they did something to, right? Because it was inherited. But sometimes the children can miss that. And then as a result, think they did something to get everything that they have. And then pride wells up in them. Mm -hmm. right? and, and that's how, um, in this particular story, Josiah was. And so all the leaders who were serving his father were trying to encourage him that you're not going to win these people by dictating and trying to control them. Right? And so it's a mistake that so many next generation leaders make because it was serving the people and loving on the people that built whatever it is that they have. But then sometimes the one comes in that didn't do anything to build that. Now they just want to control and dictate everything. And it usually doesn't go well. And so in uh, Jeremiah 22, 15, uh, English Standard Version says this. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? So in other words, you think because you live in that big, beautiful house that that makes you a king? That big, beautiful house that your father built? You think that makes you a king? He says, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. So when he began to heed that counsel and get out of competition, then things began to go well with him. Now, how does that relate to a relationship between two individuals, right? So at the end of the day, she's good at what she's good at. I'm good at what I'm good at, right? And so if I'm smart, like an example is right before you right now. I'm taking a secondary position in this message because she wrote it. Some years I write the relationship uh, series. Some years she write it. This year she wrote it. So I'm taking a secondary position and submitting to her. That actually doesn't make me less of a man. That makes me more of a man to recognize that she has strengths, talents, and gifts and graces as well. And it's okay for her to be at the forefront sometimes. Right? Because at the end of the day, we're doing this together. And so we watch people try to at times put us, pit us between each other. It's Pastor Trish for me. It's Pastor G for me. It's Pastor Trish. It's Pastor G. And in that day, we don't care anything about that. Only thing we know is together we are better together than we are apart, right? And so we don't really care who gets the credit for it, right? We used to all, I coached basketball for years. I used to tell these kids, we can win a championship if nobody cares who gets the credit for it. If everybody will just do their job and work extremely hard, right, and work and pull in the same direction, we can win a championship if no one cares who gets the credit. Competition destroys relationships, right? And you never know. See, if I had this attitude for her, I've been taking care of you all this time, work been optional for you. See, the day might come where I might need her to take care of me. 
Because, see, life can be cyclical like that. And if I had that attitude hurt towards her this whole time, see, what do you think her attitude might be towards me when I need her to take care of me? All right? And so I'm just telling you, you cannot have competition within your relationships because we would have finished this message had you not taken you didn't have to come and talk behind I didn't talk behind you in fact you my stuff your, was so tight that your, I sat down you my feet was, oh, I you didn't got say your a points word. and no, I got my there, time. You, you, no, you felt the need to always you know, add I, to what, as if what I said you wasn't you enough you want to acknowledge that you no, just you, take no, too you long that's minimizing me though when you got to get up and say something behind something I said you. You're trying to minimize me. I'm not trying to minimize you. You're trying to minimize me. <laughs> See, and, and what that was born out of? Competition. Competition. And let me share something. Parents, oftentimes, believe it or not, parents do this with their children. You know, I did. I grew up in the age where power and dominance ruled the house. Don't ask me why, because I was the why kid. Why? Go do this. Why? We can't go do this. Why? Don't ask me why. Just do what I said. Right? Eat all your food. All this here stuff. Exercising dominance. Now, there's a thing about dominance that, I mean, that, that, that might be necessary because you are the leader. So you might need to enforce some rules. But it doesn't minimize or should not minimize that child's humanity. That's so good. So, you know, go sit your butt down somewhere or, you know, all, and some might even cuss at their kids. Right? And then you wonder why they reciprocate this by the time they're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. Oftentimes, it's what they learned in the house. It's just the tables have turned, especially with that man child that think they grown now, and now when all of a sudden test the manhood, you know, some, especially you know, there's a story with his mom where she just had to just uppercut him. Because you know when you get as tall as your parents, you start looking them in the eye and like, excuse me, <laughs> what was that you said? And my mother just went. With everything she has. All five, three of her. Yeah. Right? So this is something that we can default to because pride is rampant in humanity. Yeah. Pride runs the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That, those are the three simple ingredients the enemy uses to destroy people and their relationship with God. Yeah, and I know you're going to go into the altar call, but you know really why we're still together after 25 years? And really, we enjoy each other. We're not acting, right? If you know both of us, we're not going to put on anything for you. It's really, really whatever it is. Yeah, it's really whatever it is. It's what it is. It's what you're going to get. But here's the reality. We can communicate with each other. And then we have conflict after conflict after conflict, but we can resolve it. Right? And what makes it easy to resolve is that we go to the Word of God as the final authority. So when we can't see it together, we know God can see it right for us. Right? And, and we don't compete against each other. At the end of the day, if she's winning, I'm winning. If I'm winning, she's winning. Right? And we're still going to accomplish more in life together 
than we'll ever do by ourselves. So I want to appreciate and thank you for just, because the other thing, she will allow me to lead, right? But, but also I have to respect the fact that she brings some things to the table that I have to respect. And I've got to know when it's time for me to say, hey, no, you do that a little better than I do. So you take the lead on that, right? And when there's no competition there, the two can coexist that way. Exactly. And so, you know, our ability to resolve conflict first has to come through our relationship with God. Because when we can acknowledge that we serve a perfect God, a righteous God, a loving God, then there's nothing to really be in conflict with him about except within ourselves. There's a quote, I can't remember the author, but he says, the darkness that we see in others is often the result of the darkness within ourselves. Oftentimes we're at conflict within ourselves because of what life has done to us. So we're not seeing them the way they are. We're seeing them the way we are. Yes, exactly. And we project our faults, our shortcomings, our hurt, our pain, how we felt disrespected, how we were bullied, our addictions, our private thoughts onto other people as a layer of protection and defense only to destroy the relationships that we so desperately want and need. And how many of you know that is not the will of God? Amen. Praise God. I trust that this message has touched your heart today. Listen, we don't claim to have all the answers, but we do know one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you don't have a personal relationship with him today, we want to invite you to do so. Or maybe you had one with him, but you've just gotten away. And you're desiring to come back to Christ today. I want to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you would, repeat this after me. Put your hand over your heart and say these words. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died, rose from the grave, and He is alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me now. As a result of what I've confessed with my mouth, what I believe in my heart, I am right now born again and in right standing with God. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for you. We believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. Congratulations. We are so excited that you made the decision to get connected to God. Thank you for listening today. If this message encouraged or inspired you in any way, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit us at linkedupchurch.com or download the Linked Up Church app. You can also watch live services, view past messages, and see our dynamic content for children, youth, and teens on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Linked Up Church. And if you would like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at linkedupchurch.com or text Get Connected to 94000. 
Thanks again for listening. Have an amazing week, and we look forward to connecting with you.